Hello and welcome to the Golfing Greenkeeper podcast. I'm still your host, Steve Smith. This is episode number 19. Now, for those of you who have listened to the podcast before, you know where I'm going to start. We're going to kick it off straight up with Walking the Fairway, so let's rock on. Now, it has been a couple of podcast episodes since we walked the fairways together. And for those of you that haven't walked the fairways with us, come join. Come join. And let's see how we go. Now, if you've been following me on social media, and if you haven't, now's a good time to follow me at The Golfing Greenkeeper on Instagram and The Golfing Greenkeeper on Facebook. Just a little quick plug for you to follow. Uh, you, w- <laughs> you will have seen that I recently was up at the mid-north coast of New South Wales doing some work with Tallwoods Country Club to show you what they've been up to and where they're heading as a golf facility moving forward. So why not start there and let's resonate out from Tallwoods. So let's go to Tallwoods. So Tallwoods is near the twin towns of, for those of you that don't know, Foster Tuncurry up on the mid-north coast of New South Wales, like I mentioned. Now they have been busy in the past couple of weeks building themselves a brand new practice putting green outside the pro shop near the first tee there, and it's fantastic. Now, this required them to dig up the old green, which did have a number of issues, and the new owners of the club, in discussions with their superintendent, of course, in Andrew Gordon, they decided that it would be best to completely rebuild the green from scratch. So they did, and in doing so, they decided that at this time of year, to get the best surface for them in as fast as possible, The only way would be to lay freshly cut bent grass turf, which they ended up sourcing from the Southern Highlands in New South Wales. So you know it's good stuff. It's grown in the cool climate, which is what we love to hear. Now, they got it trucked up on a semi-trailer, and the morning of my first day of golf there, two weeks ago, they were laying brand new green carpet down at first light, and it looked absolutely sensational. Now, I can tell you that there's nothing quite like seeing fresh bent grass turf go down. It's just beautiful. It doesn't happen that often because it is a very expensive process. But Torwoods, look, they will have a great new putting green up and running very soon indeed. So for those of you that are visitors to Torwoods and the members up there, you know what's coming. You've seen it down. It's looking sharp. And if you're a visitor-to-be, that's one of the new things happening up at Torwood. So really good stuff. And also a little bit on the side, they're actually getting some new machinery at Torwoods as well. They're getting a Ventrac machine, which is going to really aid in the moving forward. Talking to Andrew, the superintendent, he's pumped about the new gear coming in. This um, this Ventrac, it's, it does so many. It's a multi-purpose tool. It's got so many different attachments. And uh, we're starting to see this machine get into a few golf courses. And look, for them, I know one of the big things that they want to be using it for a hell of a lot will be aerating, aerating around the golf course in particular, fairways and things like that. I haven't seen any aeration for quite some time. So, um, yeah, Andrew is rubbing his hands together and is very excited for the spring season coming ahead. So good stuff happening at Torwoods. Up into Queensland, and look, it's just been announced that Royal Queensland or RQ, as it's affectionately known, is to be the host golf course for the Olympic Games if Brisbane becomes the host of the 2032 Games. Now, that's probably a bit off the radar for a lot of people, the Olympics, and look, still, I'll be honest, even for me, seeing that golf as part of the Olympics, it's still probably not quite something that jumps to the forefront of your head, 
But uh, look, after Rio, and we saw what happened at Rio in the uh, in the golf event as part of the Olympics down there and the Gilhans designed golf course that they played on. Look, it, it it's it's a good thing, I suppose, for golf. It gets it gets more eyes on the sport. And um, look, the the Brisbane 2032 committee in their bid, they decided that they finally decided because no one really knew what the host venue was going to be. They just recently decided that RQ was their venue of choice to host the Olympic golf tournament. And some of that had to do with the size of the property and the size of the course, being able to handle the large grandstands that they want to build and to cater for the large crowds. So, um, you know, that was that was part of what was involved in their decision making, and that's why they've come up with it equaling RQ. And that's fantastic. And look, that's a bit of a deal for uh, for Royal Queensland in, in Brisbane. If if Brisbane is officially announced as host, which which I think we'll we'll find out in the next month or so, if I'm not mistaken. Look, that's pretty exciting stuff. So it's one of the things that we probably haven't really been talking about too much, but if they get it, it's going to be a good thing to watch. And I'm, I'm all for eyes on golf, so sensational stuff. And uh, fingers crossed, I suppose, that, you know, if Brizzy get it, um, RQ is going to host it, and it's going to be a good thing. So good stuff uh, coming up from Queensland there. We go to Victoria to Lang Lang Golf Club. And they've recently completed installing some irrigation, some automatic irrigation on their 11th fairway. Now, this will mostly, this will most certainly improve the quality of the fairway and aid their greenkeeping staff in maintaining the fairway itself to give a more consistent surface to this particular hole on 11. And now that 11 is finished, they're looking to move on to the 16th hole and do the same improvements there. And it's great to see this being installed at Lang Lang to further improve the golf course for the members and visitors alike. And and this is a great piecemeal idea in getting a large scale job like irrigation improvements done at a golf course that that doesn't have a huge budget like some of the metro courses do. So if and I used to work at a golf course in, in the Blue Mountains of Wentworth Falls and when I was an apprentice the similar sort of thing was being done there. The club didn't have the, the million dollar budget to go, bang, let's lay it out now and let's get the irrigation done in one go. It took the golf club, I think, five years to put fairway irrigation through the golf course. and They just did it piecemeal. They come up with a deal with the um, with the installer, with the, the contracting company to just do it year by year and, and piece by piece. And looks like that's what Lang Lang are doing. They're deciding that, that this is the way moving forward for them. And, and it's a great model if you don't have a lot of cash just to do bits and pieces at a time. And you know what? It eventually gets the job done. So really good stuff at Lang Lang in Victoria. Now, you might recall me talking about the great work being done by Lee and Gather Golf Club in Victoria as well, resurfacing some of their tees and green surrounds with the, the assistance of their volunteer army. Well, they've finished all their work for this season and have now reseeded their nursery area to grow it in for the next lot of turf to go down in the next round of works planned for the course. And that was all with fescue for them. So they were doing a fescue uh, improvements around the golf course, around their greens and green surrounds and tees, which is good to see. But that's all done. They've seeded up the nursery area and it's ready for the next lot of work. And this is great planning from Lee and Gather. And it's a great model again for other small clubs to see how to go about improving your surfaces in this in this idea, in this model on a small but cost-effective and impactful way. And I really love that. They've used their their volunteer army. 
They're doing it again piecemeal as they can afford to. Seed's not that expensive. The payoff is time. But if you've got a good core and a good group of people that are willing to help, this is good stuff and the right way of going about it. And Lee and Gatha have been doing it. And it's a great course. It's uh, it's very well known in the area. And it's a good little trip to go to to play Lee and Gatha as well. And improving their services with fescue. Look, who doesn't like fescue on a golf course? Moving to the metropolitan area of Melbourne in Victoria, and we go to Metropolitan Golf Club itself. And and that is, if you haven't heard, if you don't know, if you've been living under a rock, or if you're just new to the game, you probably haven't heard about Metro in Melbourne, as we call it. So Metro is one of the famed sandbelt courses in Melbourne. And they've had architecture firm Golf Strategies, which comprises of the duo in Neil Crafter and Paul Mogford, well, they've been busy constructing a new short game practice area for the club. Now, there's a bit to this one, including things like a large bunker that, of course, will feature their unparalleled famous Metro Crisp bunker edges that chew into the green surface. And if you're not sure what I'm talking about, go and Google search it because if you search Metropolitan Bunkers, uh, Metropolitan Golf Club Bunkers, you will find the most magnificent bunker edging anywhere. That'll be the photos that you come up with. And if, you, if you're like me, you haven't played there, it's something that you know the club is known for, along with everything else. Look, it's just a fantastic facility. Uh, very private golf club, as we all know. But look, having golf strategies in and doing a bit of work there to, uh, to their practice short game area, it's a positive for the, for the members. And uh, it's going to be a great improvement for, um, for the guests of the members as well. So lots of things for, uh, that are positive coming out of Metro down in Melbourne. And uh, not always some new stuff done in these courses, but when they are, they do it well and they do it right. Now, we stay with Golf Strategies and Crafter Mogford, and it's recently been announced that they've been confirmed as the architects to provide a new course master plan for Riversdale Golf Club, which is also in Melbourne. Now, for anyone that doesn't know Riversdale, it was originally designed by Alex Russell, who was not only a great golfer in his day, being around the 1920s and the early 1930s. Now, I mean, he was a great golfer. He won the Australian Open in 1924 as an amateur, if that's anything to go by. And he's also recognized as one of our most famous homegrown golf course architects. And if you haven't heard of Alex Russell... Well, he worked with the great Dr. Alistair McKenzie, to give you an idea, in designing and building Royal Melbourne's famed West Course. And he was the sole architect for Royal Melbourne's East Course, along with another other, a, a number of other notable courses, like Yarra Yarra, for example, just to um, that his name's down as the, uh, as the architect as well. Now, Golf Strategies, as I mentioned, they're, they're, doing, uh, they're doing a new master plan for Riversdale. And they're looking to incorporate some of Russell's design philosophies into the new master plan. And it's going to be very interesting indeed to see what the outcome will be for Riversdale. So they've really got a vision ahead of them. And they've decided that golf strategies are the right people to do that with them. And they've done plenty of great work as well, the golf strategies guys. So look, one to keep an eye on to see how this is going to come out for Riversdale and we'll be keeping an eye on it as it moves forward in the years to come which is very very positive heading across to South Australia to McCracken Country Club now McCracken for those that don't know is located in the southeastern side of the South Australian golf renowned Fleurio Peninsula and is more or less at the beautiful township of Victor Harbour 
Which for those that don't know the area, again, like I keep saying, if you're not sure where these are, I'll try and tell you where they are. So if you think of going on a golf trip or you want to try and find somewhere to visit, I'm trying to give you an idea of where and go and look on Google Earth or Google Maps. It's also near the township called Goolwa. Now, Goolwa is known for being basically at the mouth of the Mighty Murray River. And if you're listening from overseas, that is Australia's largest river system, FYI just in case you're wondering. So look, we come back. McCracken has officially announced that the pl- that they've planned, as they term it, a Florida-style golf resort. Now this kind of this is kind of like a family-friendly holiday park set up for me when I was looking into it at, at the golf resort. And it will include things like a water park, an adventure playground, new accommodation types. Overall, they're, they're talking about a $20 million investment. So it's not small. This is a big deal. It's a very big deal for the club and for the area. And uh, it's big to see in South Australia. And it will no doubt there'll be plenty of people in golf circles that will be watching to see how this unfolds. So really, um, I I don't know if surprising is the right word, but very eye-opening to see this kind of investment. And it's done by an Australian company, from what I could read into, that they're investing into a lot of parks in post-COVID, local Australians holidaying in Australia and that type of thing. So they've they've brought up a number of areas uh, in South Australia, uh, holiday resorts and that sort of thing. And McCracken Country Club is just one of them that they're, that they're going to put this Florida-style golf resort concept together. And $20 million bucks that's not anything to sneeze at. So definitely we'll be watching again, but good to see investment into golf and certainly in South Australia away from Adelaide City. So there's another, potentially another high-visiting spot. If you haven't already played McCracken, once they do something like this, uh, it could become a real hot spot for people to visit down the Fleurieu. So, yeah, really good stuff over in South Australia. Now, we head back to New South Wales where we jump to Carnarvon Golf Club in the southwest of Sydney. And they've recently adjusted their third hole ever so slightly where the club decided that a bunker that was located at the front right of the green wasn't working for them in the play of the hole so they've gone about removing it and they've replaced it with a grass mound for players to negotiate as they play the hole. Now it's a small change but one the club has completed down there at Carnarvon now and, and you know if you're I haven't played Carnarvon it's one of the courses that uh, is down that southwest side that I haven't played yet and um, look if you know it you play it you've probably already seen the result of it but there you go when you get there you'll see the third hole has a new bit of turf and a mound at the front right of the green there. To the northern beaches of Sydney, where Wakehurst Golf Club. Look, Wakehurst is a great course. It's built on an unusual site just above Manly Dam. And it's a, look, it's a fantastic spot. I really, when I played there the, first, the very first time, I was really awakened by Wakehurst. I had no idea. Is that, is that the right thing to say? Awakened by Wakehurst? Let, let's go with that. Now, look, Wakehurst, they're currently undertaking the reconstruction and design of some of their greens under the design guidance of Craig Parry, the former golf professional, touring golf professional, Aussie that everyone knows and has known for a long time, and I've mentioned it before, that he was the, the uh, Aussie that won the, uh, the Blue Monster back in the early 2000s, I think it was, in 2003, if I'm not mistaken, where he hit his second shot, which I'm pretty sure was a six iron into the hole to win the tournament. Um, yeah, look, 
Craig's a great guy. A lot of people know him and remember him playing on the tour in Australia and further abroad. But he's now in the design world and throwing his hand at, uh, at, at redesigning and, and working on a few places at the moment. And Wakehurst is another one. And I believe it, it's four greens that they're doing in total that, um, that look, like I said, I've played Wakehurst and I can say that I'm hoping for great things to happen out of this. No pressure, guys, none at all. But um, look, the course uh, that I played, I've played it not so long ago, it was an absolute joy to play. And I will be certainly watching this one very closely to see what the new designs of the green complexes are going to be that they're rebuilding. So interesting to watch at Wakehurst. We move to the eastern suburbs of Sydney at the Lakes Golf Club, which we all know and love, no doubt, as a, uh, a former host many a time of the Australian Open. And they've been renovating their sandy waste areas, which includes getting back some of the original design elements and shapes that were altered over time by the forces of nature and maintenance actions, which happens. Things, it's a moving target. I always say golf course maintenance is a moving target and things change. Now, the club's decided to reinstate the original design elements which were previously done by OCCM back in the day, which is now, as we know, OCM, and uh, in particular on the right of the third hole. And they've also upgraded the irrigation system around this area to try and assist with keeping the sand in place during high wind areas. They can throw the heads on, the sprinkler heads, that is, and throw a little bit of water out just to keep it damp when they need to in that re those really high wind days. And it stops that erosion and uh, that sand build up outside the bunkers so you don't have to go through a, uh, a rebuilding process so soon. But uh, a little bit of work there at, at the lakes and you know these courses are always tinkering, they're always doing something and uh, if you're a member or a player of the lakes you know sort of the area that I'm talking about on the third, uh, that big wasty sort of area and um, yeah they're looking to get it back to square one. We move further north out of Sydney to Charlestown Golf Club, which is in the, sort of the central coast, uh, north of Lake Macquarie area, near just south of Newcastle. And uh, they're embarking on a $1.5 million investment to the installation of a brand new driving range. Now, this is a huge local investment. And I've got to be honest, I was quite surprised. And, and I think some of these things are on the back of this post-COVID world that, you know, people are trying to get onto courses hand over fist and get into golf. And, and, and it's great to see this real push towards people participating in golf. Lots of newcomers I'm seeing around. Certainly on social media, you're seeing lots of people starting up golf for the first time, which is great to see kids, women, men, you know, all sorts of different walks of life some old, some young. It's it's just such a good thing to see people participating in the sport that we all know and love. So, look, Charlestown, to, to throw $1.5 million at a brand-new driving range, that's, like I said, it's a big deal, and one that the club is looking to improve their offerings to their members and visitors alike. So that's going to be a big bonus to Charlestown and really looking forward to see when that gets up and running. And they're, they're talking that it's not going to take them too long because it's, it's all the teeing area. They've obviously got the fairway they're ready to go, which is their practice area. But to, to put in a proper driving range, um, yeah, look, it's, it's a big deal, like I keep saying, and, and something that's going to be a massive positive for the area. So good on Charlestown. A Kamaruka update. I recently got a call from Harley Cruise, golf course architect Harley Cruise, about the long-lost links of Kamaruka, which he's involved with at the moment. And... Look, he and I discussed this back in episode number 17 for those that may not have heard about it before. And Harley has asked me 
to see what I can find out about Ernest Banks, who was the English architect sent over here to Australia by the late great Sir Robert Lucas Tooth to design a golf course at his estate called Kamaruka. Now, there has been a development which, if you're a golf podcast listener, you might have also heard the update to the story by the crew on the Good Good Golf podcast with Rod Murray and Adrian Logue. And apparently, they've come across some information that Ernest, or as my wife calls him because I talk about him so much at home at the moment, Ernie, now that... <laughs> I love it. Good old Ern. <laughs> anyway, so... After completing his job at Kamaruka, Ernest Banks, the story goes, made his way to the Blue Mountains for work. Now, as you know, I'm a native of the Blue Mountains and have worked on the golf courses up there all my life. So Harley decided to get in touch with me and asked me if I could see what I could find out about any historical information about Ernest having been written about him working up there, anywhere up there. They weren't sure where, they just knew that it was the Blue Mountains. Now, I've found some pretty interesting links to be honest and we'll hopefully be able to share them with you as soon as I'm able to verify what I've come across so look I must say I've fallen in love with this Kamaruga story and the romance behind such a unique golf story in our history and let's see where this goes but stay tuned because it looks like this intertwines quite surprisingly into the golf history of Australia and the Blue Mountains and I'm really excited about it like I said, I found some things and I just need to double check them all, but I'm letting you know as a snippet and I've already spoken to Harley about it and we're going to talk more and uh, stay tuned. But Kamaruka, the story continues with a new tangent. So there you go. Now I can't finish walking the fairways without talking about my favorite project at the moment and look, if you're into golf on social media at the moment or you've you know you're talking about golf projects and courses and things happening you probably have heard of Seven Mile Beach down in Hobart Tasmania I've been talking about it and I know plenty of people who have and uh, that's my favorite thing going around at the moment and I'm keeping a very very close eye on it and it's all systems go at the Matt Goggin project at Seven Mile we're starting to see images and video of course architect Mike Clayton from Clayton DeVries Pont walking the site and talking about the land that they have at their disposal to work on and uh, and it's extremely exciting. Trees are now being harvested from the site and the lay of the land is starting to become visible to those who haven't been there. Now keep your bloody eyes on this project, I promise you, because it is not going to disappoint. I promise, I promise. Find it wherever you can. I'll show you some stuff as I come across it. I'll put some things up on socials and share some of their posts from Seven Mile and some of the stuff from Clayton DeVries Pont. It's, uh, it's really exciting, but do yourself a favor and follow their pages as well and stay, uh, stay in tune with what's happening down there. It's super, super duper exciting. We love it. Now to finish off, and I know that was the finish off point of walking the fairways, but I always, if I get the chance and I find or come across some information, I'm going to drop in right at the footnote, is sustainable golf in walking the fairways. And uh, I'm going to throw it in, found some more information, stumbled across some. And uh, we go to South Australia to Glenelg Golf Club in Adelaide City, no less. Now, they've been conducting some ecological burns recently on their seventh hole. And, and look, these types of burns for Glenelg are targeting not only to assist with the regeneration of their indigenous vegetation around the course, 
but to also reduce the weed seed bank on non-indigenous species as well, or of the non-indigenous species, I should say. A big plus on a number of levels, really, that only controlled burns can achieve. And this is really, really good stuff. And, and lots and lots of, of uh, lots more Australian golf courses are starting to really introduce these controlled ecological burns, which is really good. It's really positive for the local area. And because it's a managed space, it doesn't happen naturally anymore. And people often think that fire is bad, but in an Australian landscape, we all know those of us who understand the vegetation and how it works, that fire is a very, very good thing. And it has to happen every so often, not every year, but every number of years. And different vegetation has different time frames. Um, but good to see this stuff happening at more and more golf courses. And if you're a local at Glenelg or you play Glenelg, you've probably already seen that they've done some of those burns. Glenelg have also been looking after their native fauna, where they've been installing nesting boxes for their local microbat and owl populations. Now, it's not always possible to have enough hollowed out trees around in a populous area. And that's usually because they're managed from a safety point of view. And the fact that, you know, that it can take an extremely long time for appropriately sized hollows to form in trees, sizable enough for these micro bats and owls to, to nest along with other fauna as well, other bird types and so on. But in particular, the micro bats and owls is what they've been targeting at Glenelg. At Glenelg, they're, they're helping and installing these man-made boxes for these animals, which is a big plus coming out of Glenelg for me in the sustainable golf side of life. And I just think it's another tick. And I'm finding that... You know, the more I look into this stuff, I, I, I've, I've been hearing about it for quite some time around the Melbourne area and uh, certainly in Adelaide. More so down in the southern states, I've found, uh, but a lot of other places now are starting to look into what they can do for their local environment and certainly in this type of thing for their local native fauna and for their indigenous species. So good stuff coming out of Glenelg and, you know, it just puts another positive to the golf industry and certainly Glenelg are the leaders, uh, one of the leaders in the golf industry for that. So really, really positive stuff to see. And that's it for Walking the Fairways, guys. Thanks for coming along for a stroll. First time in a couple of episodes, and I hope there was some really interesting news for you. And we move on to my favorite segment coming up. Welcome, everyone, to my humble abode that I call the Greenkeeper's Shed. Wanted to talk to you on this episode about something a little bit different. It's about water. But not as we know it, or not as you know it. This is the tool of water on a golf course. Let's go with that, the tool of water on a golf course. This is the Greenkeeper Shed. Let me try to show you and enlighten you more. Water, as we all know, and probably in its shortest version, is used on a golf course to keep the turf alive, right? We know... Everyone knows that without water, it's extremely difficult to maintain a golf course. That could quite possibly be the be-all and end-all, really, because at the end of the day, without turf, apart from a few adapted examples like Cooper Pedy, which I've played, by the way, you don't really have a golf course. Golf courses usually have some type of irrigation, be it very basic or extremely complex. Use of a reticulation system is the way in which water is delivered 
on a golf course, usually using underground pipes. Now these days, we're all probably familiar with the idea of in-ground sprinklers. Now they're the ones that you see out in the fairways that every now and then they'll be in the line of your ball for you putting off the surrounds or something like that, or you might be standing on one, those sorts of things. So that's what I'm talking about when we talk about in-ground sprinklers. And we usually see them around the greens and on the tees. And if a golf course is fortunate enough, you will see them on the fairways, usually with the measuring distances on them. Now, these sprinklers are the means to distribute the water over the turf that's been delivered to that particular location through those underground pipes. And it's usually the extent of how we golfers think of an irrigation system and water that's used on our golf courses. Well, I'm here to tell you that's not even close to how much we use this tool that is water. The next biggest thing we use it for, for example, is helping to get the most out of our fertilizers, wetting agents and chemicals. Now, these are the things you probably don't quite realize. You see, what used to take two to three staff members to do in, say, half a day, 20 plus years ago, can now be done in a matter of hours with just one single staff member. If you want to apply, I'll give you an example. If you want to apply a soil application of say a liquid solution to your greens, for example, back in the day you would have had one person spraying the solution out, possibly, maybe two, and then possibly another two guys washing it off the grass leaf and into the green soil profile which is where it's required it's where you want it to be because that's where it's going to take effect this particular example is a soil application now take that situation to a modern day course with fully automatic in-ground sprinklers and one staff member can be applying the liquid solution on the greens and then with the single press of a button on his phone or a satellite box or a radio um, communications device they can turn on and time the irrigation exactly to deliver the certain amount of water that they want on the green that they've just finished finished applying it on to wash it in but not too much that it goes in too deep into the profile but enough that it's working where it should be the same goes for wetting agents where you need it to be delivered into the soil profile and washing it in is not only helpful to get it to the right area but some of these products can have an adverse effect on the turf leaf itself and in some particular examples it can burn the plants if it's not washed off and into the soil properly so you have to wash it off you put it out in your solution and then you have to get it down off the leaf otherwise you will end up killing your grains and this happens for chemicals as well you've got to get them into the right target areas that's an understanding of what we have to do as greenkeepers and water is the tool to go about it now these products often come with a recommended amount of water to wash them into the soil profile and uh, and to get the best results out of them you've probably heard the word efficacy bandied around these days with the COVID vaccination well these products basically have the same thing and if you follow their instructions with the recommended amount of water the idea is you'll get the best results irrigation is an extremely important tool when it comes to managing and maintaining your turf surfaces and the different things that are applied to them over the course of the year we use this tool 
being an irrigation system and water, we use it all the time. Honestly, guys, we are using it just about every day in some way, shape or form. Timing of irrigation applications is important. Now these days with fully automatic programmable, programmable modern systems, it allows you to apply irrigation water exactly when you need it at its best time to put out a calculated amount of water. I mean you can literally put out the amount of water you need to the litre. It's that specific and more often than not you'll be surprised how specific we are with this type of thing. Now you don't need to have a staff member come in at the early hours of the morning to turn the sprinklers on and to water the greens by hand. It saves staff. This is what this, this tool does. The irrigation system of water, it's a, it saves the use of staff. Gone are the days of being out there with hoses. You know, you might have three or four people out there watering your greens and surrounds and it might take you three or four hours to do so. You, know, you can have a full course irrigated in a matter of, you know, a couple of hours um, at the right time of the morning and you don't have to try and worry about staff getting to work on time and safety of working in the dark and all sorts of different things that you need to think about. I mean, my example that I can give you is at Katoomba where I was superintendent for nearly 10 years. We had a basic irrigation system. Now, that was in 2013, but just before we closed down. We had a basic irrigation system. We were wanting to put in a new fully automated one. But we didn't get there before we disappeared. So what did we have to do? I had to I had to turn up to work, and we had a rotation policy with staff. But I, I had to turn up to work at 3 a.m. Set the alarm for two o'clock. Do your morning routine. Drive into work, and get out on course. Start at 3 a.m. Finish at six before golf. That's what we had to do. And we didn't have in-ground sprinklers on a lot of the golf course, we actually only had it in a couple of tees and two greens. Um, I think it was three tees and two greens is all we had it on. Um, so we had hoses that we would drag out from under the trees that we had to roll up and we had sprinklers on a stand that we would go and place at the different areas of the green, the corners of the green, much like you see the ones in, in, in the ground, the in-ground sprinklers, we would do, or I would do, um, We'd drive around, I had a loop with a run, a timed run that you took a certain amount of time to complete. It's like Peyton Harbour Bridge. You start, you know, you start at the beginning, you finish at the end, and when you finish, you go back to the beginning and you do it all over again. And and that's what we did. We had we had a run. A four we did four laps, four laps of the course, moving the sprinklers to four positions to water our greens and surrounds. It's very, very labor intensive. Uh, we had a vehicle which was great. Um, and we had sprinklers which we didn't have to use a handheld hose to do which was good we moved up in the world <laughs> but uh, when we we're on water restrictions we had hand we had to hand hose it hand hose our greens because we're on town supply it was very very labor intensive and we had uh, three volunteers that used to help us do it very very labor intensive I cannot stress it enough and these modern systems do away with all that you can just set a time set an amount of water to go out they just do it it's it's incredible and it's so efficient such an efficient use of water like i said you can calculate it to the specific amount they can also be set up to adjust these automatic automated systems they can also be set up to automatically adjust the amount 
of water that they put out depending on the amount of rainfall that's received for the area. That's how efficient they are. So if you have a, a heap of rain and you put your settings in, they'll turn off or they won't even turn on, for example. But if you get a little bit of rain, they'll put out an adjusted percentage of the set amount that you've got to go out. These things are incredible. It's just a whole nother ball game. And uh, you can, like I said, you can calculate the amount of the water that goes out per cycle and adapt it specifically, ultimately, to your water supply to determine things like your cost of your water. So if you have, a, if you have to buy water or how much water you're using relative to how much you have in supply, which is critical in times of drought. These days, the irrigation systems can have what is called an injection system as well installed in them. And, and that's where you can introduce a particular product into the irrigation water that then goes out on the golf course. Now, let's say we're talking about calcium, and that goes in upstream, just well upstream from the sprinkler heads, but just after the water gets taken in from its particular water supply, whether we're talking tanks or a dam, for example. So um, that's where it gets injected in. It's usually at the pump, a pump shed area. You have the injection system installed, and a product can be injected at a rate a certain specific required rate and have it then sent through that irrigation water out to the sprinklers covering the golf course with the product without having to spray any solution out with a machine. So you can put calcium, like I said, into this system which will soften some of your, your saline, the high saline levels in some water depending on where the water supply is. You can, you know, the, the flexibility is, is amazing. And, and basically, when you're watering using the sprinklers, you can also apply different pH balances. You know, it's, it's literally a game changer for a lot of golf courses that deal with irrigation water that's very high in salt, like I mentioned. And, and I'm talking with things like recycled water. Now, recycled water comes with a lot of problems. It's great because it's usually a very high supply. <laughs> You've always got more than you can usually use, but it comes with problems. And that is by way of salt, usually definitely high salt content is an issue with recycled water and pH can be an issue as well with certain bore waters. You know, there's and these injection systems can assist with solving that. They can basically make the water more palatable for certain golf courses. So these, uh, look, the flexibility and these types of things that are that are built into these systems, these irrigation systems in a modern day world, is quite remarkable. Quite remarkable. They do, on the other hand, become a job unto themselves. Uh, just the same as they save a lot of labor, they do need someone or a couple of people to maintain them. Now, you know, you could be talking because there can be quite a lot of work in looking after an irrigation system. You know, to make sure it's always running properly and, and everything's working appropriately. And, and like I said, you're calculating water amounts. You want to make sure that the, the sprinklers are throwing proper and getting proper coverage and they're turning properly and they're not blocked and they've, the, the amount of water is going out as they should because ultimately if it falls short, you can have dry areas starting to appear. If the sprinklers aren't turning, you can overwet some areas and have dry areas as well in the same, in the same circle. And, and we're talking like over 500 heads to 1,000 heads plus. A thousand sprinkler heads on a golf course. Like that that's a lot of work. And it's not just making sure they turn on and off properly, they're turning properly, they're spraying properly, they're um you know, they're also 
presented well, that the mowers aren't going to be damaged by them, that they're not going to get damaged by the mowers if they're too high, if they're too low. Um, you know, there's so many things involved with them. So they are a job unto themselves as well. But they are an incredible tool. Water on a golf course can be used very effectively to keep grass alive during very hot periods where you can cool the turf down and stop it from dying in front of your eyes. And you've probably seen, I remember tournaments, um, you know, I've seen around the world, certainly even here in Australia where it got to the point where greens would get too fast in tournament prep and they would start to, you know, the, the greens were basically dying. They got that that solid, that fast, that slick that they weren't holding golf balls. You know, they would be watering them to try and keep the grass alive so that they would, and they would try and, get a bit of friction into the surface as well. Um, but water is used very, very effectively on extremely hot days to cool the plant down. And I'll give you an example from my time at Katoomba Golf Club because I measured it with a an outdoor thermometer, a handheld weather device, just to see what a difference it made because I wanted to learn more. So it's a little local experiment that I did. Let me give you an example. I'll show you. This is what we found. These are the details of what I found over a two-day experiment. We had temperatures that were over 36 degrees, which is the ambient temperature. As you know, that's measured in the shade. We don't often get temperatures that high in Katoomba. It happens you know, once or twice a year. We had two days back-to-back. -back uh, I can't remember the year it was, but I do remember it vividly. And it was beating down, severe heat. 36 degrees in the shade much much higher in the sun and what I try to remind people next time you're out playing golf our greens don't often grow in the shade where the ambient air temperature is measured they're out in the sun so when you're hot out in the sun the grass is growing in the sun and it's not 36 degrees it's not 45 degrees that's the shade temperature that's the ambient temperature of the air out of the direct sunlight this is what happens when it's in the sun. At Katoomba, I put our handheld weather device in the sun on the green. I just laid it on the surface to see what the temperature was beating down on the grass on a 36 degree day. It measured and it didn't stop climbing. It went past 40, it went past 50, and it even went past 60 degrees Celsius it stopped at 68.3, I think it was. I got a photo of it so that I didn't think I was dreaming. I think it was 68.3 degrees Celsius is where it stopped. That was the temperature on the green surface in the sun, in the middle of summer, on a very, very hot day. That's another world. That's a whole different ballgame, people. I don't care who you are, that is a different ballgame. That sort of shit is very very hard to manage and in Sydney in Western Sydney in particular and certainly you look at areas in South Australia which is known as the driest state we've got areas that you know in um, where we grow grass in dry areas like Kalgoorlie and things like that in WA um, you know where there's low humidity high direct sunlight temperatures go crazy they go crazy and 68 degrees in the Blue Mountains on the surface of the putting green is in the crazy department. That, to give you an idea, if you're an imperial person, 
it's 154 degrees Fahrenheit. So that's, like I'm saying, it's another level. What my experiment was, was to find out what watering the green would do the morning of an extreme day. So this was, we often watered every second day because I was trying to, you know, just not trying to overwater the greens, trying to get them through, and then we would spot hand water the dry areas that were stressing out. That first day, it was 36 degrees when the green surface measured 68, was a morning or was a day where I hadn't watered in the morning. So they were reasonably dry. No humidity around the surface. They were basically just beating out dry. The next morning was forecast to be the exact same, 36 degrees. No wind, a lot of sun, no cloud. It was the second day, so after after the day without watering, so it was a watering morning. So we watered the morning like we would a normal cycle. And this is where things got really interesting. Because we watered and there was then moisture and effectively then humidity in around the surface of the green, around the same time of the day where it was really, really, really hot, I put the thermometer out on the green surface and the weirdest thing happened. This is what moisture does in air, right? The temperature of the green surface, when I laid it on the same green in the same spot and the temperature was very similar because it was forecast to be 36 and in the end I think it was around the 36 degree mark, the thermometer didn't get over 25 degrees Celsius because of solely the humidity in and around the leaf and what was being drawn out of the surface of the green from the heat. It was drawing that moisture out and that was just keeping those temperatures down. The moisture was just constantly cooling the surface. And then when that moisture runs out is when numbers go ballistic. So that was a real big lesson for me of learning and seeing firsthand just what moisture content did on a green in an extremely hot day. And the mountains is known for having reasonably low humidity during summer. I struggle as a human to live on the coast. Uh, um, I live down on the northern beaches of Sydney and with the coastal sea breezes in summertime, it's very, very humid. It sits around sort of 90%, similar to Queensland, North, and que North Queensland, I struggle in the humidity. But because I grew up in the Blue Mountains in summertime, we get a lot of westerly winds and it's a lot of dry air. And, and that's why you have bad fires and all these sorts of things with low humidity. In an extreme day of low humidity, we'll get down to single figures to nines and sevens percentage of humidity. So that moisture makes a huge difference. And to give you an analogy, that's why North Queensland in the middle of summer doesn't get past sort of 33, 34 degrees. You get to Penrith or in Western Sydney, or you go out to Western New South Wales, Western Queensland, South Australia, WA, it gets over 45. It's wholly and solely the moisture content in the air, people. And that was an example of what happens when you don't, you're not able to effectively put water out on a green surface when you need to. So being able to use a tool in an irrigation system for water when you need to to cool the plant down, that shit saves a lot of money, guys. It's not just saving your putts from staying on a green. It's saving us from having to resurface a green or patch out and plug out some of the dead areas or try and regrow them. It, it really does make a big difference. And you know, without that tool, it's very, very difficult. But that's just a, a little example of what moisture does in a green as well. 
Being able to use water as a tool on a golf course through the means of an irrigation system, as you can see, is not only vital, but can be used by your greenkeeping team most effectively to manage the turf surfaces exponentially better, in my opinion, as it becomes more available and usable throughout a golf course. All clubs, in my opinion, should have a dynamic program in place to always be improving and maintaining their irrigation systems no matter what they have whether it's basic or complex again in my opinion it starts with staff then machinery and then third is water as the most important and valuable component of a go of golf course maintenance and above all it should never be forgotten about once you get a system installed it's really really important to clubs to always be having an allocation in a budget to maintain your irrigation system. It's extremely important and, and really you should always be striving to improve it as well. That is how water is used as a tool on a golf course and not just to keep the grass alive, guys. I hope, I hope that was a little bit insightful and somewhat helpful. And again, when you're out there playing golf in summertime, you'll be able to pick, you'll see the sprinklers in the courses, you'll see them as you're going around and you'll know as the heat starts to tick up throughout the day in summer which courses are going to be better behaved if that's the right way of saying it because they've been able to put moisture out into a lot of other areas on the golf course and how it's going to play you'll know you know when you see it when you roll up on a hot summer's day if they've had a dry year which courses have water available and which ones don't so you'll know in turn which golf courses are going to play hard and fast and which ones are going to play a little bit softer Water has a big impact in that. And this is just a little bit of an education for you to try and understand how it works and how it's used, but also so you can pick it when you're out there playing golf and you'll try and adjust and know how to hit your game to suit the golf course in that way. Thanks for listening, guys. That's the Greenkeeper Shed. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for listening. And that's a wrap for episode number 19. I do appreciate you taking the time, and I hope you got something out of it, whether it be some news or a little bit of info into how water is used on a golf course like I just went through with that segment of the Greenkeeper Shed. Look, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. It does help get it out there and share it through. Post it out to people that you know. Share it across. Spread the word. I do appreciate it. What is, it, what is it that they say? Like, share, subscribe. I think that's the, the trio of terms used for the podcast listeners. Look, as I said, appreciate your time. Hope you enjoyed it, and I look forward to bringing you episode number 20. You hit them clean, and we'll keep them green.